This is Free Talk Live, the Thursday edition. As we kick off hour number one, you can take control of the airwaves toll-free. 800-259-9231 is that number for you. The Packet 8 toll-free line, as we like to call it, 1-800-259-9231. And it is Ian here with you. And Mark. And a very, very sick Mr. Mark, he who uh, went to the hospital last night, he was so sick. I feel kind of dumb about going to the hospital because... Was that influenced by the wife, or was that totally your choice? Um, She she thought that it was uh, probably not nothing, but, um, you know, when you're... When you're uh, when you have a, a dull aching pain in your left arm, spend a couple of bucks, go to the hospital. Why is that? Isn't that a sign of a heart attack? Right. Huh. Okay. You know, I mean, it's we're not talking about flu or in, influenza. Oh, I can't even say, I can't even speak. It's such rough <laughs> rough shape. Um, well, I appreciate you coming by tonight. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but it, it is the flu. Is why that's what they it told you. It seems like a stomach flu, a stomach virus. Just making you weak, just overall. Is that yeah. where the pain was coming from, essentially, in your arm? Right, it was. Um, I have aches everywhere now, but uh, I guess it started while I was lying in bed last night, uh, right in my left arm, probably because I was lying on it, and um, you know that's. And you were up, uh, and the day before, uh, you were up all night long making phone calls for the first one thousand pledge mm-hmm. because you've sort of taken this as your personal mission. Uh, I really wanted to, to to go through, you know, to, and to make sure it happens, and it's really I worrying me. Right, and you were. Tr- I think you said you banged out like a hundred something phone calls in in one evening. Yeah, that was just that was just after the show, because there's all kinds of people in Hawaii and Alaska and right. California. You can call them until California can call till midnight, Alaska till one, and Hawaii till two. So you made you'd actually made more calls before that. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you made a lot of calls in one day's time. And, Hundreds of calls. For and the, uh, apparently that just I mean staying up late and doing those calls probably weakened your immune system yeah. a little bit, allowed whatever it was that was working on you to come in a little bit stronger. I'd really like us to make it, but uh, we we need 147 uh, more people to sign up, and we have essentially two days left. Yeah, we got about what uh, 48 hours. No, three. wait, it's Thursday uh, night, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three days. So we've got 72 hours. Yeah, about that. So we're going to need more than one sign-up per hour, like two sign-ups an hour, basically, to get Pretty this much. to work. And so for, uh, freestateproject.org, of course, uh, is where you need to go to learn about the first 1,000 yeah. pledge. Do it for me. <laughs> yeah, do it so Mark doesn't have to uh, be making 1,000 calls on Sunday. I can't imagine how I'm going to be able to, um, you know, if we're... If we get to 100 or something by Sunday, what am I going to do? You I know, know you've got some assistance. Uh, I know you have some people that have stepped forward to help you out. Hopefully mm-hmm. they'll uh, they'll double up or something like that to to take some of the burden off of you because you really uh, you really turned into like the uh, the first 1000 hero here at the at the last moment. Well, I'm I'm and really worried what's going to happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, what's going to what's going to happen if the first 1000 doesn't make it? Well, I I don't know. If if, if the first 1000 doesn't make it and I, I think that it, it we're still within striking distance. It's still possible um if it doesn't make it, I've heard rumors that there's going to be some uh, there's going to be some talks or I guess there already are some talks amongst the I don't even know if this is hush hush information. So uh amongst the board of directors of the Free State Project as far as sort of retooling the vision for the Free State Project mm-hmm. in that the original 20,000 number wasn't really the the correct number. It, it was just sort of a number thrown out there, essentially. It was based on some calculations that were done, but after more calculations have been done, it turns out the more accurate number would have been 12,000 number, uh, or 12,000 people, especially for uh, the state of New Hampshire. And of course, we're talking about the Free State Project. It's a movement of 20,000 people all moving to the same state in order to make a stand for freedom and liberty and actually bring back liberty in our lifetime. That's what we're talking about here. 
and it's been in uh, in effect for over five years now. The Free State Project has. We got to 5,000 signers fairly quickly. I would say within a two-year time frame, we had five. 5,000 people sign up to say, I will move to whatever state is chosen and uh, be a part of the Free State Project. Those 5,000 people then decided on which state to uh, to choose. There was 10 different states. They picked New Hampshire, overwhelmingly. After the choice of the state, the sign-up rate dropped precipitously. Mm-hmm. So looking back, and of course hindsight is always twenty twenty. They're saying now, looking back, that, well, you know, what we should have done is collected signatures all the way up to 20,000, then had the vote, mm. then everybody would have moved. Then there would have been the, if, because the way it's the setup right Start now moving, yes. is, uh, is a five-year window after we reach 20,000. So there still would have been that five-year window would have just been vote, then move right. to whatever state was chosen. And, uh, you know, hindsight, it's been done. What's been done is done. New Hampshire's been chosen. A bunch one. of people have moved, and I think it's the right choice. Obviously, it was overwhelming uh, in the vote. I think even if we'd had 20,000 people, New Hampshire would have been chosen. Of course, by that point, we would have had probably more opt-outs because you could have opted out of certain states like Alaska. As you might imagine, a number of people didn't want to go there. Yes. Um, I wouldn't want to go to Alaska either. So looking back, there were some tweaks. There were some differences. There were some things that should have been done differently. But then again, Mark... This has never been done before. Right. This this movement, this whole concept was uh, was brand new, very revolutionary, and it's not a surprise that it didn't work out perfectly as far as getting the signups to really roll in and and everything like that. So I don't think there's, we don't know what's going to happen regardless of whether or not the first one thousand makes it. They may decide to retool even if the first one thousand mm-hmm. makes it. And essentially, the the people that are arguing for a retooling of the project are basically saying, look. You know, we are having success right now right. in New Hampshire. Well, I we think they a, should be um, working on getting people to move. Exactly. Than, yeah. That's what they're. That's what they're looking at doing. I'm not going to say that's what they're doing. I don't know. I don't know what the final result of all this is going to be. But I'm just talking about the possibility here. Essentially, um, it's working now. The early movers. You and I were early movers. There's another 170 or so early movers. There was 300 people that were already members of the Free State Project when New Hampshire was chosen. People who lived in New Hampshire who, hey, New Hampshire happened to get voted in, they're already here. Yeah. So we've already got a few hundred people here on the ground setting up pro-liberty organizations, doing things, uh, doing pro-liberty activism. And we've, uh, we've got victories that we can already point to, things that are really exciting happening here in New Hampshire. And so the proposal is on the table to wipe out the 20,000 number entirely, sort of, Put the 20,000 number to the the back burner, keep it around, but not really focus on it as the ultimate goal of the project, mm-hmm. and uh, you know wipe it out entirely or not really focus on it so much, or of course leave it as is. So there's kind of like three different uh, different options. And I think that either way you may see more of a shift towards, look, here's what's happening. Yeah. Here's what's happening now, and here's why moving sooner rather than later is going to make a difference. Of course, if First 1000 is successful, they could tie that in and say, you know, these people aren't going to wait to 20,000. They're going to move within the next two years. That's what you should do, too. And as more continues to happen in New Hampshire, as more continu- more exciting things, more pro-liberty things are happening – the Free State Project, I think, and I agree that the change should be made, personally. I don't know how you feel about it yet, but... I like it. I think that they should focus more on the exciting things happening and really sort of pump it up um, and get people excited 
about making a difference sooner rather than just sort of sitting around tapping their fingers until they, you know, waiting for the revolution to, to begin. 20,000. Yeah, right. exactly. And of course, there's some real negatives for waiting. I mean, Look, if you got a if you got a lot of strings to tie up and it's going to take you ten years, then well, do what you got to do. Right. But if you can move sooner, then definitely move sooner because by the time we reach twenty thousand, there's going to be some sort of uh, there's going to be an attritioning. There's going to be a drop off of people who they signed up and forgot they signed up, mm-hmm. and it's been I've talked 10 to a few years. people. Um, yeah. Yeah. That had. You know, that just don't even remember signing up. Right. So the, the, you're going to lose, even when you reach 20,000, there's going to be a certain percentage of those people that are just not interested anymore or they're, you know, they forgot about it or whatever. So if we can really focus on just building momentum, sort of building that uh, that snowball rolling down the hill, if you will, being the, the very uh, genesis of that, the beginning of that right now, and uh, really help people get excited about what's going on. I think that'll be a, a positive direction for the Free State Project, where we're counting the number of movers instead of counting to the number of 20,000. Yeah. So that would be, it would be a change of really focusing on the number. Of course, also proposed has been a more flexible sign-up system. This may be something that you'll see as well. It, again, none of this has been decided. And I'm sure they'd be interested in your input at freestateproject.org. But the flexible sign-up system would be, like, you could uh, sign up and say, well, I'll move... When a thousand people have moved, mm-hmm. or I'll move by the end of X amount of uh, years. Time. Yeah. So that sort of flexibility would allow people to mo- be, um, to customize their experience more, and I think that'd be a good thing too. So eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. You can take control of the airwaves. We've got some updates here tonight. Uh, the boot camp death from Florida. We'll tell you all about it. Three Talk Live. <laughs> This is Free Talk Live. It is your show. And you can take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line for you. For all your voiceover IP needs, packet8.net, 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are completely free. And that does include the bulletin board system. we got over 140,000 posts for you to surf around through. We've got over 1,300 people interacting there, and it's a lot of fun. You'll find serious issues, fun stuff, all of it being discussed, and it's all for free. You know what, Mark? I haven't even uh, looked at the post count in so long. Correction, over 160,000 posts wow. on the uh, Free Talk Live BBS. I thought I'd I thought I'd go and check it, and it would be 150,000. This thing grows by leaps and bounds. Is he? All right, so bbs.freetalklive.com, like everything else on our site, it is totally free. And do you have a child in your life? Be they son, daughter, or sibling, give them financial literacy. A Kid's Journey to Getting Rich by Jewel Thornton teaches a child the basics of finance, money management, and real estate investment. School doesn't teach kids about money. Only their loved ones can do that. Give your special child A Kid's Journey to Getting Rich. Order it at akidsjourney.com or call 1-800-657-5066. That's akidsjourney.com, 800 657 5066 as we go to John in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, John. Hi, guys. Hey, what's on your mind? Yeah, I haven't been listening because my computer's crashed, but uh, I assume that uh, the end of the year is coming and maybe we're talking about the uh, 1,000 pledge? Yes, we were. We're talking about the 1,000 pledge, and I think you were on hold long enough to hear a few of the uh, possibilities for change in the future of the Free State Project. Actually, I, I came in so close to the end that I wasn't catching it, and that's why I'm guessing that that's exactly what we were talking about. But uh, I'm taking a different perspective on this uh, 
where I'm thinking uh, people ought to have in mind that it's the end of the year and uh, it's time to make New Year's resolutions and, you know, what direction is our life heading in and that sort of thing. And you know what? In this case, if people wanted to sign the first 1,000 as, as part of a New Year's resolution, it's not even something that they have to do this year. They, they have two sure. years to actually act on it. They, they would just have to make that commitment now. I think that's an excellent idea. Sign the first 1,000 pledge and resolve to uh, start wrapping up the uh, the ties in your life, start cutting the strings, and move to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project. Now, something that comes to mind with this uh, whole thing is, you know, there's an awful lot of libertarians and uh, constitutionalists and whatever, you know, category anybody wants to pigeonhole us into, mm-hmm. who sit around and all our adult lives or all our young lives talking about, you know, freedom is the most important thing, and how much we would do for it, and what chances we would take, and all that. Mm. You know, and and some people sit behind their keyboards and they type away messages, and tell everybody how smart they are about the ideas of liberty, and and, and it just keeps coming back to me to think, geez, here's a chance for people to prove how smart they are. Come mm. and be part of this, or to prove you know, how important freedom come is. Come and to make them. the move, man. Yeah. Now, the other evening, uh, I told you that I was working on a little bit of a song. Actually, something uh, called the Free State Project Blues, which is actually a happy song, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I played a, a verse from it, and uh, I've written another one. I'd share that. I'd share another verse with you if you'd care. I could give you like twenty or thirty seconds. Uh, yeah. Okay. Go ahead, John. That's yeah, let fine. me let me just set the phone down here, and this is to everybody that's uh, thinking of moving and had these ideas for so long. The song's kind of written as a conversation between a. A man and a woman. It's supposed to be two parts, but I don't have a woman here to sing the other part. So <laughs> you'll have to put up with my lousy voice. Hold Maybe on we can have seconds. Lauren do it sometime. Maybe you and Lauren can do a little duet. I'm picking up my guitar and, uh, you know, anything at this uh, point that like encourages people to, uh, to to sign the first 1,000 pledge, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. Let's start packing, baby. We wanted this for way too long. Yeah, let's start packing, baby. We wanted this for way too long. Let's move up to New Hampshire and let's go build our happy home. Yeah, it's a beautiful place to uh, to build a home. I, I know, Mark, you're considering doing that mm-hmm. um, right now. But, you're looking at some property. We're just talking about uh, building a home in New Hampshire. Um, so that's just kind of a fun thing there. I don't know. Did you build your own home here, or did you just sort of move up into one that uh, already existed? Me? Yeah, you. Oh, oh, I'm I'm renting right now. I haven't because I I haven't really. Uh, I've been here for three years, but I haven't completely settled in. Right. Because I'm actually commuting uh, out of state for an old job. But you know, people give me a hard time with that and say, you know, dude, John, you're still feeding the beast in the other state. And I it's say, true. you know what, guys, I, I'm a registered voter here. Let me know when you do that because. First thing I did is signed a lease, went down to town hall and registered to vote. I think coming in as a uh, a renter is probably generally a good idea to start things out, unless you really have your eye on a property and you want to just jump in like I did. But uh, well, I'll tell you what, Ian, uh, I'm over here in Salem, and I plan on being here for a while. But long term plan, I thought I might be heading north. a little bit west is looking pretty sweet to me. There's an awful lot of real, real nice people out there, and you know what I'm talking about. You're talking there. about the Keene area. You're talking about you where Free Talk brother. Live is. That would be awesome to uh, to have you nearby. I really think that I really think that you're going to find that the Keene area of New Hampshire is going to end up being the uh, the hub, if not if it isn't already, 
uh, the hub of the uh, the nonviolent revolution. You've got such uh, superstar activists out here um, just doing a great job. Always something exciting, something interesting to and do we've every single week. talked a little week. bit about that. There's, there's some diversity what goes on with the people that move here, and, and some of it's the uh, nonviolent protests and, and such, and people with the hardcore uh, change the system and work within it, and mm-hmm. you know, they're going to move closer to Concord, and they're going to be you know closer to the cities, and other people move closer to the cities for the cultural life. In fact, your, your call screener uh, is talking about his, his wife is from New Hampshire, and uh-huh. you know, that's one of her concerns is being close to a city. So there's something for everybody here. It's a, it's a tiny state, but it's it's about as diverse as any other state can there be. There really is. I agree with that. If you want to be all alone, you can be out in the you can be up in the boondocks. Uh, there's a lot of boondocks here in New Hampshire. <laughs> I mentioned a word the other night to you, and and you liked it. And I, I just want to remind you and the listeners, energized to come here. Just the energy is infectious. It is fantastic. You find the people you like. You hang around with the group you like, and uh, you know, there's there's a lot of crossover in between. You know, I'm yeah. You, know, you mentioned the political people moving to uh, to Concord, and and while that tends to be the case, I think that what you're going to see over here in the Keene area um, within the next year is a, a major push for uh, for municipal office I've by our people. <laughs> so yeah, you're going to see but you're going to see it on both ends happening here in Keene, and I think that's going to be an important part yeah, of the strategy for everybody. John, thanks for the call. We appreciate thank it you, as bye. always, and thank you for the encouragement um, and the song. You know, I'm I'm very interested to see what is going to happen when we get five, ten libertarians in municipal office. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's going to excuse me? It, what's going to happen to that town? It's going to be very interesting. It sure, is. that's for sure. If we can get ten into municipal office here in Keene, there's only fifteen different uh, city council seats. Right. If we can get ten people in, that's two thirds majority. Those two thirds can do anything. Yeah. Anything. And when I say anything, I mean hire in uh, a city manager who will go in just fire people and uh, and and just cut, gut, slash the, the, the size place. of government. Um, now, of course, we would want to make sure that they're comfortable and everything, and when they're going out the door, don't want anybody to be angry about that sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, give them a certain date and say, as of this date, you're no longer going to be working here anymore. And uh, cut the size of government drastically. We can do the city councils can do virtually anything and so that's really somewhere to focus especially considering that around here you're looking at a maximum of a 10 percent voter turnout and in this town that means 1600 people i mean our listeners could move up and win this election yeah <laughs> 800-259-9231 you take control of your waves coming up the sixth story from the florida boot camp our archives website and podcast will continue to stay free but if you think other people deserve to hear this show Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves. Thursday edition, 800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. That's 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Enjoy all the features there because they're completely free, including the Shrine of Female listeners. We've got dozens of ladies that have taken the time to send us their photo, and we are gonna uh, we put them up on our website. In fact, I've got uh, one or two new Shriners to be adding here within uh, before the end of the year. I promise I will get them up on the website. And if you are on our updates list, you'll know when that happens. You can get on the updates list at updates.freetalklive.com. Dot com. Free Talk Live brought to you by the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, February 23rd through the 25th 
of 2007. Get registered now and meet libertarian superstars like John Stossel, Michael Badnarik, and many more. The most influential libertarians in America will be there. Freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. That's freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. You know, you, you probably should register sooner rather than later on this because eventually it's possible the hotel could sell out. Yeah. And then you're going to have to. It's happened to me on conventions before. Right. You're going to have to go to another hotel and it's walk happened to us the hotel. On, on conventions before. That's when, true. When we went to the uh, talk radio seminar. It stinks. We waited too long and uh, it was a pain to go from one hotel to the other. And it was cold. It, well, it's going to be cold probably in uh, late February as yep. well. And as Wayne was pointing out last night off the air, this is going to sneak up on us. I mean, we've got two months. We're two months out from this. Less than two months. Less than, yeah. Um, that's not far at all. No. But I don't know about you, Mark, but it seems to me like the weeks have been going very fast since <sighs> we've come up here. Well, the time's slipping away from me because I really just want this first 1,000 to make it, and I just don't have enough time to make all the calls. And now I can't make them because I'm so sick. So Liberty Forum uh, at freestateproject.org. Check it out. December, uh, let's see, according to ABC News, here is the... Most detailed version of the story that we've seen yet. We're talking about a story that we reported on earlier this year, and it was pretty disturbing at the time, and it's still going to be disturbing, especially if you've never heard it before. Everywhere you look, there are cameras, from street corner surveillance to camcorders to cell phones. Many of these cameras are used to solve crimes. And when it comes to all the crimes caught on tape in 2006, the story of 14-year-old Martin Lee Anderson stands out. In Anderson's case, a camera actually changed the course of justice and gave voice to a victim who could no longer speak. You might have seen the 30-minute silent surveillance tape that captured the last conscious moments of young Martin's life. Surrounded by multiple sheriff's guards and a nurse at the Panama City, Florida juvenile boot camp, where he had been sent after violating probation on charges that he took his grandmother's car for a joyride. As uh, we had explained in the past, he probably did take his grandmother's car for a joyride. Seems and, likely. And Grandma, thinking that the police are there to help, called them in on the case instead of just, you know, waiting for Martin to come home and scolding him and punishing him on her own. She, like many parents these days, jumped to the law mm -hmm. as their parental solution. And now she's regretting that. I bet she is. Because her, her grandson is dead. At the hands of the police. It's a day juvenile boot camp supervisor Charles, uh, Charles Helms had not spoken about in public until his interview with 2020, and he probably wouldn't be talking at all if it weren't for the grainy videotape that led to manslaughter charges for Mr. Helms, his staff, and the nurse who was there when Anderson died. What those three cameras in the exercise yard of the boot camp recorded was the actual death of a teenager. His parents had hoped that he would serve his time close to home and Come out, quote, and come out and be a 14-year-old kid, but it didn't turn out that way, they said. In fact, just two hours after Anderson was processed at the boot camp, and just six laps into his first mandatory mile run, the incident that led to his death began. Helm says that Anderson refused to continue running and was deemed uncooperative. He said something to the effect that I'm not going to do this or I'll do this tomorrow, hmm. says Helms. So Helms and his men used what they claim were, quote, standard law enforcement techniques. Beating the crap out of people? Unquote. They punched the boy in the arms to unclench his fists, then kneed him in the thighs to make him collapse to the ground. Hmm. Helms says the officers were, quote, 
trying to see if the kid was faking it, feigning illness, which happens quite often with a new kid coming to the program because a lot of these kids are used to manipulating people in the system. So we're going to find out if he's faking it by punching and kicking him. Sounds effective. Right. The final act was to break open ammonia tablets under, uh, tablets under Anderson's nose a total of five times, hoping to shock him back to his feet and resume the exercise. Helms admits, it's very abrasive if you've ever smelled ammonia while you've tried to mop the floor or anything. Except they were holding them right, right. under his nose. Completely different. Well, not completely different, but it's a heck of a lot more pungent. The officers can be seen in the videotape holding their hands over Anderson's mouth, so he's forced to breathe in the ammonia through the nose. Mm. But the boy was not reacting. And when Helms looked into his eyes, he says he saw something alarming that made any thoughts of Anderson faking disappear. I saw a grain of sand touch his eye, and to me, that was a shock. That's an irritant in your eye. And he was not trying to wipe it out. He wasn't blinking to try to get it out of his eye. I knew he was not faking it. And I said, that's it. Call 911. But the call came too late. Anderson never regained consciousness, and he mm. died. His mother and father accused the sheriff's deputies of killing their boy. Local, the local sheriff said on the day of the incident that Anderson simply collapsed during the run, and the local coroner ruled that the 14-year-old healthy teenager died of natural causes, blaming a sickle cell trait that made it difficult for Anderson to absorb oxygen. Anderson's parents claimed conspiracy, and the case might have gone away, uh, have all gone away, except for those surveillance cameras. Robert Anderson, the teacher's, uh, the teenager's father, said that, quote, everything had been shoved right up under the rug. Martin Anderson been forgot about if it wouldn't have been for this tape. And he's absolutely right. And there are many, many cases where an individual was harmed by police, in this case guards. An individual was harmed by government officials, government authority. And nothing ever happens. No one ever even hears about it. Because... It's their word against the cops. But when a tape surfaces, everything changes. And in this case, the tape was eventually released. And after it was widely played on television and the Internet, there was a public outcry and a second autopsy followed. Prosecutors believe the second autopsy showed that Anderson did indeed die because of the incident. He had been suffocated to death. Hmm. A special prosecutor was appointed, and Helms and his crew were charged with manslaughter and gross negligence. When asked if he thought he would have been charged had the tape not existed, Helms says, and honestly, I don't believe so. Helms says he didn't neglect Anderson once he determined the boy was in trouble. We did, uh, quote, we did not disregard the fact that he was in trouble as soon as it was recognized. We changed hats and went to a rescue mode. I feel terrible. This is a devastating thing. I can only imagine what it would be like to lose one of my children. One of my sons. The Andersons don't have to imagine. They just have to grieve. Mm. Florida juvenile boot camps were closed after Anderson's death, and the use of ammonia capsules on juveniles is now banned in that state. Hmm. And Helms, along with his deputies, will go on trial in 2007. But only because what they did to the young man was caught on tape. Yep. It, if it hadn't been for that tape, it would have just... The, the, the coroner made a ruling, natural causes, that would have been it. Yep, you'd have a dead little boy... And uh, some some bureaucrats who are completely untouched. Yeah, you know, I'm sure those um, boot camp programs, when they first came out with them, you know, the, the guy that uh, came up with them, it, it probably was a better program than it is now. It just seems like, I don't know, seems uh, brutal to me. Well, and it has to do with the nature of government. The reason why it's so brutal has to do with the nature, the coercive, monopolistic nature of government. Government is an agency with a monopoly on force. 
It is that. It doesn't know anything else. And we shouldn't be surprised when government agents opt to use force on people. In many cases, the law protects them. In many cases, they have sovereign immunity. In many cases, they can get away with it. Even in some cases where there is video evidence, the penalty for these officers is a slap on the on the hand. And, you know, generally when it comes to officers, they generally get less than um, you or I would if if that was the case. Yes. Know. I've got another example of how that, that uh, tends to happen as well coming up here in moments. But it goes back to the nature of the system itself. Unfortunately, so many of us, Mark, have trouble envisioning a world where government doesn't handle these sorts of enforcement roles, where government isn't running the boot camps and aren't running the jails. But there is a vision for that world, and I'll do my best to impart it to you coming up here because I've just been learning about it myself, and I think it's pretty fascinating how we can get the government out of this particular role in society Hmm. and actually help keep people who are in trouble, help at least keep them safer. More's on the way. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. That is 1-800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll-free line for you. And it's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site, totally free, so do enjoy those that are on us. Freetalklive.com. You like the show? You want to help support us? Well, then voluntarily shop with us. Head over to amazon.freetalklive.com today and get all your shopping done. Whatever it is you need in life, Amazon probably sells it. They are the world's largest Internet retailer. And you can log in at Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. Fill your shopping cart with whatever you need to buy. It'll be shipped to your door, in many cases, with free Super Saver shipping. The prices are great. There are so many products to choose from. And if you've been shopping at Amazon, you know exactly what the experience is like. You know how great it is. Enter through Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com, though, and Free Talk Live will get a percentage of your purchase. That again, Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. Great way to help support the show and get the stuff you need. We're talking about the police. Actually, in this case, we're talking about some um, some prison guards, I suppose you could call them, boot camp guards in the state of Florida who punched and kicked a 14-year-old boy and then proceeded to suffocate him to death with uh, ammonia tablets, hmm. essentially. It's hard to imagine how that happened, but I guess it, it clearly did. Well, he um, I, they punched him and kicked him, and I, I don't know, there was some something that... I guess they really did some damage to yeah. him, and uh, then once they, there was some point at which he suffocated. Yeah. I mean, he's dead. Yeah, it, it happened. That, that much is true. It's, um, I'm, I guess I'm not questioning that. I'm just, I, I would imagine that it's, um, it's like it's for me, like it was for the officers. Wow, we didn't expect that to kill him. Yeah, we're used to beating the heck out of these kids. Mm-hmm. They're, they don't yeah, normally they don't die on us. It. Yeah. Um, and this is, it all comes back to a problem with the system itself, and the problem is that government is force. And government doesn't understand how to do anything else. It's a forceful, coercive agency that enforces its way on others, whether they like it or not. You don't, uh, while Grandma did choose to call in the police, Mm -hmm. she only did so because she didn't understand what the possible consequences could be. In this case, it was Grandma that called in the cops and her 14-year-old grandson because he took her car for a ride. The cops came, he got juvenile detention, and now he's dead as uh, as a result of the system. And so you ask yourself, well, how in the free market, how in the absence of government enforcement agencies, would this situation have been handled? I can't imagine. 
And I had the chance finally this week to pick up a book that I'm still in the midst of, and I'm recommending even though I haven't finished it. It's called The Market for Liberty. Mm-hmm. It's by Morris and, uh, Morris and Linda Tannehill. It's from the 1970s. And they did a fantastic job of really outlining what a free market society could look like and why it is that the marketplace naturally acts in a uh, just fashion and why it is that the marketplace is the most equitable, fair method for even for punishment of people. Because when you talk about getting the government out of the policing business, when you talk about getting the government out of boot camps, a lot of people freak out. They say, whoa, we can't do that. Well, the government's required for these sorts of things. We need the government to lock people up. We need the government to uh, to perform these tasks. Right. If we let the free market uh, if we let people lock up, well, basically corporations will enslave the world. <laughs> well, well, that's, of course, absurd. Um but what we do have today is corporations enslaving the world with the blessing of government, because there are private prisons today. Mm-hmm. There are, um, cor- there are, there is corporate involvement in the prison industry, and so that's essentially what we do have. In fact, uh, speaking of enslaving the world, I believe the United States is the number one uh, most incarcerated country of all the developed nations. It is true. So that's what we've got. It, how could it possibly get worse? In fact, it couldn't. Uh, if the market, if it was turned over to the marketplace. And let's look at this one situation with this uh, the boot camp thing. You would have agencies, private agencies, running boot camps or whatever they be called. I think they'd probably be, be called something different. I think jails would be called something different as well because the purpose of these facilities would be different. In, with crime in general, the purpose would be to get compensation for the victims, which is very rarely found in the, uh, the, the current criminal justice system. Usually today the victims are victimized twice. They get robbed by somebody, and then they have to pay. They have to be robbed by the government to pay to put that somebody in jail. In the form of taxes. Where they sit in a cage for X amount of months or years, mm-hmm. and then when they get out, they're still a scumbag. Uh, they, uh, they're, they're not paying back the original person that they harmed. And we've talked about how restitution, where paying back the victims, would actually cut down crime tremendously just to begin with. Just to, just to shift the system to a restitution-based system alone would go a long way towards cutting crime because criminals know that crime pays in many cases, but if there's restitution, then crime doesn't pay anymore because not only do you have to pay back what you stole or what you destroyed, but you also have to pay interest, you also have to pay damages, you also have to pay damages not only to the victim, but also the ancillary victims. For instance, if I beat you up, Mark, mm-hmm. and uh, you're out of work for two weeks, your employer took damages because True. lost productivity. So they deserve some uh, some compensation as well. But the basic idea would be that when somebody got into a situation, when somebody violated another's rights, there would be an arbitration panel, a privately run arbitration panel that both parties would agree to go to. And the reason why they would agree to go to them is because, well, if they didn't agree to go to the, uh, the same arbitration panel, then one party would take a major reputation hit um, as a result of not going to arbitration. Mm-hmm. In many cases, you would have contracts that are insured by contract insurers and arbitrators specifically outlined in those contracts. In fact, the contracts could outline several arbitrators. So if you went to one arbitrator and they came up with a decision that you didn't agree with, 
You could go to the next arbitrator on the list and down the list until you reach the final arbitrator, and in which case you would be forced by the contract to accept the, uh, the terms of that arbitrator. And, of course, if you didn't want to accept them, your reputation would take a huge hit. And if you don't have a good reputation rating in the world that I'm talking about, it's going to be hard to do business with people because they're going to know you're a scumbag. So a reputation rating is something like a um... – Like eBay. Like eBay, okay. Yeah, like where you look at uh, look at the uh, the file of somebody, and you can tell how lousy they've been in their business dealings mm-hmm. or in their personal dealings, and all of that. And so the same thing applies uh, at a uh, with a prison situation. Since you get to choose the arbitrators, you're choosing essentially to say yes, I consent to what it is the punishment that you're going to mete out. I consent in advance, and I consent after the fact. And so, therefore, you've already agreed that this is an okay arbitrator. Mm -hmm. I trust these people. And the reason why people are going to accept certain arbitration companies is because they'll have reputation for being fair. They'll have reputation for being honest. They'll have reputation for doing it in a way that government could never do it. Government, uh, Government courts protect governments. Government courts very rarely hand out punishments to its uh, to their government agents. Government agents, when they do something horrible like they did to this young boy, usually get off scot-free. Usually they're protected by their buddies in government. But in the case of the third-party arbitrator, the third-party arbitrator doesn't have a, a hat in the ring. They don't have a dog in the fight. Their business is to arbitrate disputes from a third-person perspective fairly. Hmm. And if they don't perform that task, people won't use their services And if people don't use their services like any other business in the marketplace, they go out of business. Unlike the government courts, which are there by coercion and you can't get away from them, and it doesn't matter if you don't like their services, it doesn't matter if the judge is a jerk, you have to use them. I mean, with a government court, it's up to the whims of the judge. And in some cases, it's not even up to the judge. In some cases, it's mandatory minimums. And the judge can't even uh, adjust the sentence. But if you've got a judge who tends to be grumpy, that's going to be more of a factor than anything else. Whereas with private arbitration, you're more of the factor because you are a customer at that point. Even if you're in trouble, you're still a customer of that service. So you take this, uh, the penalty from the private arbitrator that you've agreed to accept the penalty from. And in this case, it may be like the stolen bicycle or the stolen car for this young man. It may be that he has to go to some sort of a you know, re-education camp or uh, whatever, attitude adjustment camp. Mm-hmm. But like the arbitration services, the camps will be run by private organizations who have a bottom line, who have customers that they have to satisfy. And unlike the current situation where government bureaucrats are protected by the system, and they know they're protected. They know that they can't get in trouble unless there happens to be video evidence, and even then, the trouble they'll get into is minute. Unlike that situation, the private camps would be run by people who are looking to satisfy their customers. If there was a complaint about a uh, one of their employees beating somebody, and they didn't investigate that complaint and take care of that situation they're going to lose business the arbitrators aren't going to send people there anymore because that's going to reflect badly on the arbitrators we'll come back with a little bit more of this 800-259-9231 
and your thoughts as well about transitioning over to a more voluntary society, privately run versus government-run security systems. More on the way, Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off Hour 2, Thursday edition. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. And as always, you can bring up whatever you want. That number again, 800-259-9231, the Packet 8 toll-free line for you. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And a very sick Mark in here uh, coming in tonight to do the show with the flu. Yeah. Hell of, a, hell of a trooper. I'm in pretty bad shape. Well, you know, I know you need me, man. I know you need me. <laughs> Speaking of troopers, uh, we're talking about the police. Uh, actually, in this case, what sparked the controversy, or sparked the conversation, rather, was a uh, not about police or troopers, but about boot camp guards, which are they're kind of an arm of the police, I think. They're, a, they're some sort of law enforcement. I don't know. Are they even considered correctional officers? I would guess they are. What, the uh, boot camp guards? I imagine they're correctional officers. Depends on the, uh, the organization that's doing it, but yeah. In this case, we were talking about the story uh, that happened earlier in 2006 of a 14-year-old boy who was, uh, who was put into this boot camp. Within two hours, the, uh, the guards were punching and kicking him and essentially knocking the breath out of him, then suffocated him with ammonia. Hmm. And it was all caught on tape. Suffocated him to death. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's dead. Um, it was all caught on tape, and even the cop, even the uh, one of the guards, the head of the guards, admits that if it hadn't been caught on tape, nobody'd be in trouble right now. Because at first glance, uh, nobody's going to, uh, first of all, nobody's really going to investigate the cops too hard and heavy. If there's no evidence to uh, to investigate, you've just got a dead body on your hands. They could say whatever they wanted to say, and uh, they would have gotten away with murder. Happens all the time. In that case, and it does happen all the time. And it goes back to the problem with the system. And I was outlining a moment ago, and I'll recap it briefly here for those of you just t- tuning in, just a, a slight, uh, just a somewhat of a vision for a system that is uh, an enforcement system, a uh, a protection system, a jail system run by agencies who are not the government. Without the government's blessing. I'm talking about a situation where there's no government at all. I'm talking about the free market. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about uh, a laissez-faire economy where private property rules and we have a what is essentially a reputation rating for everybody. You've got credit ratings today, so this isn't unheard of. This reputation rating idea. And you mentioned eBay. Right. eBay is a perfect example of, uh, of a reputation rating. But my basic idea here, and this is uh, being borrowed from an excellent book called The Market for Liberty, which I am uh, still in the, midst, in the midst of, and I plan on reading again. It's, it's that good. You know, it's one of those books you want to digest twice just so you can hmm. completely get it totally and, uh, and not miss something. But we're talking about how it is that the marketplace handles so many complex tasks the marketplace handles getting products on the shelves, thousands and thousands of products on the shelves of your local grocery store, your local supermarket, your local department store. The market handles that no problem. All of the incentives are there. The market can handle these, uh, you know, building computers, putting them on the market, lowering the prices. Why is it that we think that only government can handle the business of um, corrections? Why is it that we are obsessed 
uh, with the idea that government is the one and only organization. And if you have any ideas on this, 800-259-9231. But the basic concept is that in a free market economy, there wouldn't be a government around to do these things. So how on earth would it work? Well, as I pointed out, you'd have third-party arbitrators whose job it would be, they would be professional decision-makers, whose job it would be to decide cases. The cases would be decided on a voluntary basis in that both parties would be contractually obligated to use certain arbitrators, and in the event that they didn't have a contract between the two, they would have an incentive to choose to voluntarily agree on the same arbitrator because they don't want their reputation rating to suffer. And uh, so you choose the arbitrator. The arbitrator makes a decision based on whatever the facts in the case are, and then the uh, the two individuals or the individuals in the case would accept that decision on a voluntary basis as well, considering it was a reasonable decision, which is what you can expect. You can expect reasonable, fair decisions from the marketplace because the marketplace hands out decisions that will satisfy people, will satisfy both parties, because if they don't, they won't get business. They won't have people using their services because the people will go to another arbitrator who will give satisfactory decisions. I think uh, the the judges they have on TV are a lot more fun to watch, though. You know, the Judge Wapners, the the, the new... uh, Those are essentially arbitrators. They are arbitrators, but silly. And uh, so essentially, because yes, in those cases, the Judge Wapner, the Judge Judy, Judge Joe Brown, those guys, they uh, sign agreements in advance saying that I will accept and abide by the decision of the judge. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's all based on contracts. So this arbitrator makes the decision and, uh, for instance, sends off uh, whoever it is to whatever punishment has been uh, been prescribed. Now let's look at the punishment end, too, because remember, the punishment end is going to be run by private organizations in search of a profit who are actively looking to make their customers satisfied and happy with the results at least as much as possible. So, for instance, if you're an upstanding member of society and you make a mistake and do something uh, violent on accident or whatever, you get you're full of emotion and you screw mm-hmm. up, you beat your wife or whatever, whatever Crime it of is. passion, right. Right. Um, you may make a big mistake. You're willing to make good. If you're upstanding enough, if you've got a job and all of that, that's obviously going to come into play in the decision. And so you may not even have to go to a, to a facility as long as the arbitrator can make a, an agreement with your boss or whatever to uh, dock some of your pay, for instance. Mm. Um, and they would compensate your boss in order to, for him to go through the hassle of doing that. That would be one way for a, you know, a upstanding member. And then it would go from that extreme all the way to the extreme of the, the extreme violent felon. There would be differences in there. In fact, if you were locked into some sort of a, uh, a jail, for lack of a better term, detainment center... Or, uh, or repayment center, if you will, where you would be working to pay back the victim of the crime that you committed. Mm-hmm. And it happens to an extent today with the government system where you're given the opportunity to get on parole and go out into the workforce. And if you're a good good boy, um, that would probably happen at a more frequent basis. You'd probably be reassessed on a more frequent basis by a private system. And so if you are becoming and proving your tr- trustworthiness, they may decide that you're lower risk than you were before. And uh, that's a good thing, because if you are a high risk, it means that the private agency is going to have to spend a lot of money on guards and uh, you know uh, equipment and things to keep you in line. And if the private agency is spending a lot of money on those things, then that means that you are going to take a longer time to pay off your debt to whoever it is you owe, hmm. because you've got to pay 
pay for your room and board, essentially. You've got right. a, the, uh, the, the private agency has to keep their doors open, and since they're a for-profit agency, they've got to make sure they get their bills paid, too. So you're not only are you going to be paying back, if you're a scumbag, not only are you going to be paying back the victim, but you also have to pay for your own incarceration. So you've got an incentive there to be a good boy and behave. That way um, they, they might lower your security, Aren't and the, therefore um, you could pay off your debt faster and get free. Wouldn't the institution be incentivized to keep you there so that you um, continue to be a customer? Uh, no, because they're, they have an incentive to satisfy people. And if, if there is a sick, sadistic group running a prison you're going to find that most people aren't going to accept arbitrators' decisions to send you there, and most arbitrators, once they discover that there's a sadistic group of people running a, uh, a detainment center, that they won't send people there because, again, it's all about customer satisfaction. Remember, this is a society that would be based upon um, reputation. In that, and, and this kind of, I just thought of something that wasn't in the book, but we're talking about this 14-year-old who got in trouble for stealing his grandmother's car. And you go in front of an arbitrator, you might imagine that, the, that an arbitrator, a private arbitrator, might make a much less harsh judgment on this young man, considering whatever his past history was. And also, think about how kids would be raised in a society like this. Your parents would have an incentive, because they love you, to explain to you about the reputation system. In fact, there could be reputation for kids. Maybe it wouldn't carry a lot of weight after a certain age, but nonetheless, you could have it to where your kids can start building reputation at a certain age mm -hmm. um, by doing whatever, by doing well in school or doing well in the community or uh, getting a job and uh, doing different things that could build their reputation. And that way, uh, parents could explain to their kids, now look, Mark, as you get older, you're going to want to build reputation. In fact, when you get out of school, you're going to want to already have some positive reputation. So you start doing good things now. That's going to go with you for the rest of your life. Whereas if you're a bad kid, you're going to start out life as an adult with negative reputation. And so automatically, you're going to have kids, not only are they taught wrong from right by their parents, but they're also going to be taught that uh, wrongs hurt in the long run as well. And so we could have a reputation rating for kids. Your ideas here at 800-259-9231. And talking about why it is that uh, jails or, or detention centers in a free market society wouldn't attract sa uh, sadists. Coming up. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves. Toll free, 800-259-9231. That's 1-800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll-free line for you. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The archives are there. An entire year's worth of the show awaits you. You download them. They're free. Front page of the website, freetalklive.com. And Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project's First 1,000 Pledge. Are you just going to talk about freedom, or are you going to start living it now? Learn how the First 1,000 Pledge can make it happen today at freestateproject.org. That is freestateproject.org. As we continue a discussion about an alternative enforcement system, an alternative system of punishment, an alternative system of policing and protection and courts and justice, real justice. Um, and it's all outlined in an excellent book, The Market for Liberty. I'm doing my best to, uh, to absorb it all and, and try to explain it to you guys. I think I'm doing an okay job so far. If you've got any questions or any other idea or any ideas here, 800-259-9231. What brought the discussion about was a story about a 14-year-old boy in Florida. He went to a, a juvenile detention boot camp, as it's called, and was subsequently booted in the chest um, and punched by the the bureaucrats running the system. Kid died, 
They suffocated him to death with ammonia. And it's all coming out because there happened to be a video camera trained on the entire thing. There happened to be a surveillance tape. And that's why the cops are going to get into some semblance of trouble. We still aren't sure what the exact punishment's going to be here. Typically, punishments for police tend to be fairly lightweight. And I think that the police, they, they know this. They know that the punishments are either non-existent or very light. And so, therefore, they get away with murder in some cases. Or in some cases, they get away with shooting the family dog, as we discussed last night. The cops can get away with all kinds of things because they are virtually immune as a result of being part of this coercive entity known as government. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that's very fair when somebody can, uh, if I go and shoot my neighbor's dog, I'm going to get in some big trouble for that. If I go and shoot somebody else or hurt somebody else, I'm going to get in trouble. But the police, for some reason, they are exalted. They're held up. The government uh, and the system prevents them from being punished. For instance, and we'll get back into how it is the marketplace would dissuade sadists and sickos and people with trigger fingers from getting into the business. Now, we'll get into that here in a moment. Yes. Where are the sickos and sadists going to go, though? Uh, they could go and do some sort of vi- uh, voluntary business where, for, like, for instance, a, a, dom- a dominatrix. <laughs> like, they could go and pay to beat the heck out of somebody. Somebody could consent to having the, uh, the crap beaten out of them. I don't know. That's an interesting question. If you've got an answer for it, I'd like to hear from you. What would happen with the sadists in a uh, more market-based system? Now, assuming that the system would work, and I'm not 100% sure, but I'm certainly in no condition to do any debating on it, um, the world that existed at the time would be different. I mean, there wouldn't be the uh, hero worship behind the the, the SWAT team guy. Heck no. uh, Who worships security guards? Yeah. And that would be essentially... I mean, yeah, you appreciate the security guards. You're glad they're there, but... They're just doing their job. Right. A former West Valley City detective, according to the Salt Lake City Tribune, uh, uh, who faced up to five years in prison for importing small amounts of anabolic steroids, was sentenced Wednesday to 12 months probation, and he will not be required to take any drug tests. Stephen Ward's attorney, Greg Scorda, said Ward was a great cop who would have been a star his whole life had his career not been cut short. Ward resigned from the police department on June 30th after after an internal investigation into his drug use, a punishment that was meted out before he ever stepped foot in a courtroom. Steve has enjoyed a good life, a distinguished career in law enforcement, and would still have a good career if it weren't for this very significant error. Looking back, he was certainly accepted. Uh, he has certainly accepted responsibility and realizes how foolish it was. Even Assistant U.S. Attorney Robert Lund said Ward's case was difficult and unusual, and it was understandable how, as a police officer who put his life on the line every day, Ward could be tempted to use steroids to maintain his physical strength. Ward made a brief statement to the court before his sentence was read, quote, I just want to apologize to the court for the mistake I made. I made a bad choice. Thank you for your time. But was it taking steroids that was the mistake that he made? Is that why he was apologizing? Because there's a little more to this story. U.S. District Judge Thomas Green, who acknowledged that he has taken steroids, too, seemed almost <laughs> apologetic to Ward for his sentence. Well, this is a difficult case, he said on the bench. You wonder why a man would be punished for this, but it is against the law. How many drug addicts get that kind of treatment from a judge? I wouldn't imagine too many. 
Green said he was prescribed steroids after suffering an injury to his spine. It was harder. Was the judge that got the steroids? Uh, yes. Okay. It was harder to get off than to get on, he said. Had Ward's charge, one felony count of importing a controlled substance, been filed in state court, he might have been able to enter a plea in abeyance and have the charge dismissed, said Green. However, no such option exists in federal court. Green could have sentenced Ward to up to five years in prison and ordered fines totaling $5,000, which is probably what you and I would have gotten, Mark, had Mm -hmm. we imported the steroids. He ordered neither, opting to put Ward on probation for 12 months. So he doesn't even see the inside of a jail cell. Ward will be required to report to a probation officer once a month and will not be required to take random drug tests. He's a drug addict. And anybody else who's a drug addict, who's not a cop, would have gotten mandatory drug tests out the yin-yang. Yeah. You'd have been in there, and you'd be paying for them. They'd make you pay for the drug tests that you have to take on a monthly or random basis. But this guy? Pretty much getting a pass from this judge. U.S. Attorney Brett Tolman said recommended punishments decided on a case-by-case basis, and Ward was not put in an advantage or a disadvantage because he was a police officer. Oh, really? (laughs) In addition, he said the recommendation in uh, pre-sentence reports that are prepared by a court personnel are considered by judging in deciding a sentence. A private investigator alerted authorities to Ward's drug use after he rummaged through Ward's trash can in September 2005 and found drug paraphernalia and paperwork, according to court documents. Remember, when you put your trash out on the corner, it's anybody's game. Yeah. One receipt showed Ward 27 was sending money to the Central European country of Slovenia via Western Union for the steroids. Hmm. Lund said in federal court earlier this year, the private investigator hired by the family of 59-year-old Bonmi Osa, whom Mr. Ward, the cop, killed last year during a surveillance contacted the U.S. Attorney's Office, which arranged the meeting with an FBI, uh, the FBI. The DEA took over the case and, as part of an undercover operation, was able to buy steroids from Ward's source in Slovenia. Emails from Ward to a Slovenian source were also discovered on Ward's police department-issued computer, using your tax dollars to buy steroids. The investigation into Ward's steroids use began only days after Salt Lake City uh, uh, County District Attorney David Yoakum cleared the detective of the fatal shooting of USA. Now get this, Ward shot Mr. Usa several times at close range on July 7th, 2005, as the officer sat in an unmarked police car parked near a certain uh, intersection. Ward and his partner were conducting surveillance on a neighboring home, which was scheduled for a narcotics search warrant later in the evening. Hmm. Usa had approached the vehicle and spoken with the officers, who identified them as uh, themselves as police and asked him to return to his home. Usa stepped away from the car and removed a shiny black metallic object from his waistband, according to police. Ward said he thought it was a gun and fired four times at Usa. Hmm. The object turned out to be a flashlight, according to the investigation. Usa died a short time later. Now... From what I've heard of the other side of the story, Mr. Usa had gone out to investigate some strange men sitting in a car watching houses in his neighborhood. I've done the same thing. I used to be on the neighborhood watch, and I would go ask people some questions. So the question is, did he really talk to the cops before pulling out the flashlight? More's on the way. It's Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. 
This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You take control of the airwaves. You bring up anything. 800-259-9231. The packet 8 toll-free line for you. That's 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The wiki's there, wiki.freetalklive.com. There's over 900 pages created by listeners like you. That's right, wiki.freetalklive.com. It's like the listener-editable version of the freetalklive.com website. And do you have a company that needs to try something new in the area of collections? SACL, CII, does collections, and they do it in a whole new way. SACL's employees are trained in resolving issues for your customers and treating them with respect. They know that not only do you want to collect your money, but you want to treat the, uh, keep those clients, too. SACL, CAI, check out their banner at freetalklive.com or call one 800 544-6359. That's 800-544-6359. Do business with businesses that support Free Talk Live. We're talking about a story about a cop, another cop, who managed to kill somebody and get away with it. And uh, we're gonna tr- I'm going to tie this back in to how it is that the free market would dissuade things like situations from uh, like this from happening. But I want to finish the story first. Because there was an officer named uh, in so- the Salt Lake area named Stephen Ward. And he's now serving 12 months probation, but it's not for killing a man. He got the 12 months probation for being a steroid addict. And by the way, the 12 months probation doesn't include any drug testing. So, um, But what originally led to him being outed for being a steroid user was the fact that he killed a man and the man's family hired a private detective to investigate the officer. The private detective, after rummaging through his trash, found evidence of steroid use, which led to the charges for the steroids. If the private detector hadn't been uh, hadn't been hired, this man would still be a cop today. The killer, that is. Yeah. So in the case, uh, in the Salt Lake Tribune, they don't give both sides of the story. The Salt Lake Tribune says that uh, the, a man named, uh, let's see, Usa, Benny, uh, Bonmi Usa, he's being reported as either 59 or 60 years old. So, you know, he's a little up there in the years. Uh, certainly not a uh, spry young gang member or anything like that. Right, you would think sort of respectable at that age, maybe. So, apparently, Ward and his other his cop partner were sitting doing an, uh, unmarked, uh, in an unmarked police car doing surveillance on a neighboring home, which was scheduled for a narcotics search warrant later in the evening. Now, Mr. Usa, Bonmi Usa, approached the vehicle allegedly spoke with the officers who identified as police, then asked him to return to his home. This is the police's story. Now remember, because it's going to be important. Usa stepped away from the car and removed a, quote, shiny black metal object from his waistband, according to police. Ward said he thought it was a gun and fired four times at Usa. The object turned out to be a flashlight, according to the investigation. Hmm. Usa died a short time later. Usa's family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Ward, claiming, among other things, that he was under the influence of steroids when he fired the shots. Ward was on paid administrative leave. Until then, he resigned from the police department. The city later settled with the family for $450,000, one of the largest wrongful death payouts ever by a Utah city. Mm. Still, I would say, uh, not enough. I mean, people are worth a lot more, I think, than that. But nonetheless, nonetheless, let's get the other side of the story. Because the cops say that this guy, Bonmi Usa, uh, showed up, and they rolled down their window, had a little chat with him, identified themselves as police officers, and that's when he pulled out the flashlight. But why would he pull out a flashlight at that point? Right. It seems like he might pull out the flashlight to see who's in the car. Well, according to uh, the uh, StopTheDrugWar.org, here's the other side of the story. Hair-trigger police officers 
in separate drug raids in Utah and Florida shot and killed unarmed men early this month. This is from last year's report on it. Right. West Valley City, Utah resident Bonmi Usa died after being shot three times in the stomach by undercover narcotics officers in an unmarked police car in front of his home as they prepared to raid a house down the street. According to the account from the captain, Usa walked up to their car. They identified themselves as police officers and ordered him to go back inside. Instead, Usa continued to argue with the detectives, walking around to the driver's side of the car as he did so. According to Sandquist, the captain of the police, Usa reached behind his back and produced an object, prompting the detective on the driver's side to fire. The officer feared for his safety. That's obviously why he took shots, said Sandquist. It was more than just reaching behind his back. The detective wasn't guessing. He made an observation of what he believed to be a weapon. Except that the detective apparently was guessing, and guessing wrong. Police would not say whether Usa actually had a weapon. Pretty sign that he, uh, pretty good sign that he did not. So right. this was obviously written before the fact was revealed that it was a flashlight. Right. But they were quick to release Usa's criminal record, which included three counts of driving under the influence of alcohol in the early 1990s. This happened in 2005, mm. and one domestic violence charge. Sandquist also volunteered to reporters that Usa's son Steve was a quote documented member of an Asian gang. Usa's family members said he didn't even own a gun. They can say what they want, but he was not armed, said their daughter, Chand, uh, Chandha. Uh, her father was merely investigating suspicious men parked in front of his house and trying to protect his family, As she should. And he got killed for it. Steve Usa, who I believe is his son, told KSL-TV5 that police initially tried to suggest Usa had been a victim of a drive-by shooting. Quote, me and my mom were looking out the blinds the whole time he went out. As you might imagine, if you were home with your family and there was a strange car sitting out in front of your house for a while, you might, you know, alert your family and say, hey, I, I'm going to go outside and see what's going on here. Well, apparently, according to his family members, they were watching as he approached the driver's side door, and not two or three seconds later, they shot him three times. Now, compare that to the police's story. The police say that he came around to one side of the car, they identified themselves as police officers, asked him to return home, he went around to the other side of the car, the driver's side, to start arguing with them, and that's when he went for the mysterious object. How long would it take for you to go through that whole process? More than two seconds. More than three seconds. More than three, for sure. So the stories are awfully different. Then, apparently, after the police shot this man, they turned on their light, and then when we came out, his family, they said... Oh, lucky we came in time. What happened? And I was like, what do you mean what happened? And my dad was lying on the ground. So it's clear that these police officers, at least from the family side of things, were being a little bit dishonest. Wow. Maybe a little bit sneaky. Steve Usa, who said his gang status was ancient history, told the Salt Lake City Station the police acted as if a rival gang member had done the shooting. I don't have nothing against the police, but they're asking if it was a rival gang member. They asked me three times, are you sure no one drove by and shot your dad? When I saw it with my own eyes, ten feet from my window to the driveway. They did it. Yeah, they did it. Wow. As for his father allegedly reaching behind his back, Steve Usa said his father had health problems that caused him to stand with his hand behind his hip sometimes. If a 60-year-old man with gray hair approaches you, his shirt is tight because his belly's sticking out, do you think he's going to hurt anybody? My dad never hurt anyone in his whole life. He's a nice man. He went to work and took care of our family. The Salt Lake de uh, Department declined any further comment on the killing at that point. So, you decide, listeners. Who's telling the truth in this situation? The police, who have uh, an incentive to cover up their naughty behavior? 
their murderous behavior, or the uh, family members who watched in horror as their 60-year-old father was gunned down by strange men in an unmarked car. You know, it's a sad circumstance, but you you need to be kind of careful when dealing with police. You don't reach behind you. For he didn't some... know they were the cops. That's true. He went out to the car. That's true. He went out there because he was wondering why a weird car was in his front yard. He's got a flashlight with him. He goes to pull out the flashlight because presumably it was getting into the evening hours, obviously. Otherwise, why would he be carrying a flashlight? Even if it was in the evening and they had tinting on the car, as many undercover officers do, mm-hmm. you would need a flashlight to see through the windows. So he was trying to identify what was going on. He was just trying to protect his family. And he got killed by a trigger-happy, steroid-raged cop. Now, this goes back once again to the issue of why it is that in a free market, protection organizations wouldn't behave in this way. First of all, in a free market, all property would be privately owned. And anybody who was on a road without um, permission to be there would probably be investigated by the road owners, first and foremost. The, uh, the people of the neighborhood, for instance, would be able to call their private security organization and have them check out the situation for them. But there's more to this. 800-259-9231 as to why it is that in a free market, you would be much safer from trigger-happy scumbags like this cop. You can take control of the airwaves. Bring up anything. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves. Toll free, 800-259-9231. The packet 8 toll free line for you. Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. And if you want to help support the show, then become a Free Talk Live amplifier. Head over to amp.freetalklive.com today. Learn more about the AMP program. It stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. It's simple. Since we give everything away on our website, we're asking you to voluntarily support us. And we're asking only for 3 bucks a month. And what we do with that money is we take it and we turn it around into promoting the show. We get on more radio stations. We buy more radio industry advertising, buy more Internet advertising, and get more listeners on board with Free Talk Live. And that means more new people experiencing the message of freedom and liberty. That's a good thing. So head over to amp.freetalklive.com to learn more about that. We're talking about uh, police and uh, sadists and trigger-happy cops. In the case of uh, one man who was shot and killed by a trigger-happy cop who happened to be on roids at the time, uh, the cop didn't get any punishment for it. He did get a little bit of punishment for the roids, but it was only 12 months of probation and no drug testing, which, of course, you and I would have gotten crazy amounts of drug testing. And jail time. And probably jail time for buying. uh, Not only was he buying steroids, but he was buying it from another country. Like, he wasn't just buying it from some guy in the police department. He was shipping it internationally. Anyway, so he gets a slap on the hand, like many police officers get when they get into trouble. Of course, a lot of cops don't ever get into trouble for the things that, the terrible things they do. Like last night, we were talking about a cop that shot a family dog in the head because it lunged at him, even though the dog was clearly on a chain at the time, and it was a family-friendly dog. It was on a leash, actually, not a chain. It was a family-friendly dog, a nice little black lab shot in the head by a cop. Chocolate lab. Um, yeah, so there there have been instances all over the place, and they're in the news all the time, and we report them all the time on Free Talk Live, and I wish we didn't have to. Well, there's a lot of cops out there, so, um, you know, I mean, it's... It... 
In sure, defense, there are. In defense of the good cops, there's a lot of cops out there, and you know they're going to mess up. Right, I understand that. Um, and in some cases, they're not messing up, Mark. They're doing what they what comes naturally, and that is being scumbags and getting away with it because they know they can. They know they're protected by the system. They know that as police officers. They can get in. They get in very little trouble, if anything at all, for the bad things they do. Now, I was talking earlier about the free market and how it is that private protection agencies wouldn't have cops like this, wouldn't have agents like this on their squad. And the reason is simple: it's because private protection agencies want to satisfy their customers. So, in the case of the man who was shot, uh, Bonmi Usa shot for coming out, 60-year-old man shot for coming out of his house to investigate why a strange car, an unmarked strange vehicle, was parked in front of his home. He wouldn't have been shot because in a private world, in a free market, those cops wouldn't have been there. The street would have been private. Of course, there would have been no war on drugs in the first place. Right. The house next door was being investigated for a drug raid. You know, I, do do stakeouts occur in any um, anything but uh, vice crimes? I don't know. We we don't even hear of stakeouts, stakeouts happening anymore, so I'm kind of actually happy that they were even bothering to stake out the house. That's Normally, they just raid. Uh, but in this case... The drug war thing wouldn't have been going on anyway, because those would, those products would all be legal, so the cops would have never have been there in the first place. But even so, even if there had been some sort of an investigation going on by a, like a private detective or something like that, um, the, anyone who was curious would have been able to call up their security agency that, uh, that was taking care of the roads and have them investigate it for them instead of them having to take the risk personally. So the man would probably be alive today. But even so, let's say that uh, some protection agent hired by a private protection company steps out of line. Let's say he's a sadist and uh, wants to hurt people. And so he, uh, trigger happy, shoots a guy, shoots the, this man, Banmi Wusa. Well, in that case, the agency who was, is his uh, boss would immediately investigate the circumstances and uh, do it as transparently as possible because they want to remain a reputable organization. They want to remain an organization that people are going to trust to hire them without having to worry about their agents running roughshod all over their freedoms and killing people and harming others. So they're going to investigate it, and if, it, if they determine that this man is a sicko and he's harmed somebody, he's going to be punished. He's going to be fired. He's going to be violating his contract. And who knows what sort of contractual agreements these people will be agreeing to to become protection agents. So he'll have to pay, pay, uh, pay up. Mm-hmm. He'll have to make good for the damage he caused. Unlike these cops who just get let off the hook or transferred to another area in the department, slapped on the hand, it would be a totally different situation. And in fact, the bad agents, because of this, because of the fact that they could be punished, would be dissuaded from taking the job in the first place. The job would no longer attract the sadists. The job would no longer attract the sickos, the power freaks, because they would know they wouldn't have that, uh, that protection that they need so badly in order to engage in their sadism. All of those weird, um, anti-market, counteractive incentives would be gone. And the private agencies would have an incentive to hire the best people, the real good guys. It'd be a, uh, it'd be a group of good guys competing with other good guys for business. Isn't that what we want? Sounds That's what nice. I want. 800-259-9231. Your thoughts. You can take control of the airwaves. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. As we go to the amplifier lines and talk to Brian in Colorado, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hi, guys. Hey, Brian. What's on your mind? It's snowing again. In Colorado. Yeah, I've heard there's yeah. another uh, big old storm heading your way. I'm getting tired of this. So, tell me it's not. it doesn't snow in New Hampshire, though, so uh, when we move 
uh, here in a couple of years, we're not going to have this, right? I can't tell you it's not. Uh, it doesn't snow, but it hasn't snowed yet this year for the most part. There have been a flurry or, or two. No, we had some stick, stick to the ground. There, um, well, there, yeah, there was one point at, where, at which it did stick to the ground for a little while, but it only lasted. Uh, the snow itself only lasted for an evening, mm-hmm. and then uh, the snow m- melted away within a couple of days. So this has been an unusually warm winter here in New Hampshire, uh, but nonetheless, there is snow here. Um, I can't tell you otherwise. You, you can have all this if you want it. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll get our share of it eventually. I just wanted to give you an update. I, I broke my snow shovel, and, of course, I went down to uh, Whoa. Uh, three different hardware stores to find one. How do you break a snow of, shovel? Well, they're just made out of plastic. You know, you, you bend it. Hmm. You bend it, kind of wears out after a while. You know, they're only really good for one season of, of heavy use. Wow, I didn't know that. Interesting. So of course, there's no, there's no uh, snow shovels within a three-state uh, uh, <laughs> three region here. Wow. So we're uh, kind of uh, shoveling out with our hands if we need to. Oh, my goodness. Sounds like you're going to be trapped again, Brian. <laughs> Actually, I, I managed to get the tractor unburied. We had, to, uh, we had to unload 22 tons of hay for the horses, so I got that unloaded. Now it's uphill, and I'm an engine block heater, so I should be able to take care of things tomorrow. While we've got you on the line, you were uh, hopefully listening to the discussion about the private police, and you had last time called in about private roads. How do you feel about that idea, the idea of uh, getting the policing business out of the hands of the government? Well, I, I like that. I, in fact, I was just talking to somebody about that yesterday. Uh, of course, you know, anything you can get out of the government is good. But what happens if, uh, you know, I, I'm just stuck on this anarchist idea that, you know, what happens if, uh, if the cops go bad, you know, the private cops go bad? I mean, how do you, there, there has to be some ultimate uh, uh a thing that, that people have to account for. Well, and, and I don't know how to deal with that in, in a free market. It's an excellent question, and Brian, thank you for the call. We appreciate it. 800-259-9231. What happens if the cops go bad? I maybe didn't explain uh, in, in depth enough. Essentially, if you get one cop going bad or a few cops going bad in one agency, the agency will either deal with the situation or suffer as a result of people dropping their contracts. As a result of people saying, whoa, you won't do anything to these bad guys? Well, you're not getting my money anymore. Because in a free market, agencies have to operate in the marketplace like every other business does, like McDonald's does, like Dell Computers does, like Free Talk Live does. We operate in the marketplace, and we determine our actions based upon the satisfaction of our customers. And if customers aren't satisfied, they're going to go somewhere else. So if you've got an agency with a couple bad eggs, and you as the owner of the agency as management refuses to do something about it, then we're going to another agency. There's going to be a competitor across town or across the street who will love to take our business from you. And that's going to hurt your bottom line. So in the free market, you either get to, you get it together and you treat your customers the way they deserve to be treated. They're your customers! They're paying money for protection services. They're not paying to be uh, assaulted by sadists. So not only would the uh, business not attract status in the first place, but anyone that did reveal himself as a statist, or statist rather, and harm someone else that they should not have been harming, uh, would definitely be punished by economic factors. And there, and if the business owner, not only, here's another punishment for you, another built-in in, uh, disincentive towards this sort of behavior. If the business owner refused to punish his uh, people by firing and going through whatever sort of arbitration necessary to to have them make good on the c- trouble they caused. 
if the business owner um, and probably there would be contract insurance with the contract of the uh, the protection provider, so you'd have your protection provider, your contract with them, be insured by a particular organization, which would ensure you that the protection provider would not harm you in any way. And if you were harmed by them, the insurance company would pay out, and the insurance company would independently investigate them. But if they refuse to, uh, if the protection company refused to punish its employees, then the agencies. Operators would also take a reputation hit, and then they would find it difficult to do business with anybody else. They would find it difficult to have their contracts insured after that. I mean, there's all kinds of different levels of protection that the marketplace would naturally build in because they have an incentive to do it, and the government has none of them. 800-259-9231. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We kick off Hour 3 of the Thursday edition. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. And you can bring up whatever's on your mind. Again, that number, 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site, completely free. You enjoy those, freetalklive.com. As we go right into the phone calls here, let's start things out with Brandon in Japan. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Brandon. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, hey what's Brandon. on your mind? Uh, not too much. Talking about cops again. Yes. Cops, cops, cops. Well, they keep um, killing people. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the interesting things I think about, um, you had raised another question earlier about how is it that people think that the government is the only viable option for law enforcement? And that really kind of comes up to another major problem that government needs to get out of, which is education. Mm. Uh, and one of the reasons why is, um, if you recall back to your times in kindergarten and stuff, is, you know, from a very young age in government schools, you know, we are pretty much indoctrinated to believe that the government um, is a very sacred institution. Mm-hmm. It's um, true. Law, our, our law enforcement officers are um, considered better than human, and um, our presidents and our high officials in, in government, particularly our founding fathers, um, are nothing short of demigods. Good point, and that's been echoed. That um, that sort of sentiment has been echoed loudly this week with the death of uh, former President Ford. This hero worship that I was talking about last night. It continues. And not only does it start when people are kids in the government schools, but it's so effective. It continues all the way through the rest of their lives. And when a president dies, everybody gets all upset as though they'd lost a you know a loved family member. Right. Right. Absolutely. And. You know, one of the other, the other things about um, libertarianism is that libertarianism is not, um, it's not really the natural way of thinking for, for human beings and for most organic things in general. Um, you know, we were hardwired to survive in, you know, a competitive environment, and a lot of times for thousands of years that meant, you know, if someone came onto your territory, you would kill them. Um, or you would yeah. use violence in order to I don't to know if that's necessarily natural today. I think that today when you're, Five years old, your mom teaches you right from wrong, and that you know you don't take Jimmy's toys, and uh, you're taught not to steal from others. I think, in you know, at a basic level, we're pretty much taught and educated that uh, stealing is wrong and and theft is wrong. All of the things that the government engages in, in general, I don't think most people. Um, I think most people agree with us that those things are wrong. They just have yet to understand that government engages in them on a regular basis. Right, and I would agree with that, but still at a very base 
emotional kind of level, you know, and you see this through government because it attracts these kinds of people, Mm -hmm. that there are individuals who, you know, believe that what they think is right and they're willing to use force as a substitute for free market competition or egalitarian intellectual competition to impose their viewpoint or their worldview of society on others. There certainly are plenty of people like that. You're right. So one of the other, you know, so one of the other things that that's really important for, you know, moving beyond this while law enforcement's really great is, you know, we really need to start taking kids out of government schools um, or we need to, if we can't do that, we have to take the responsibility ourselves to supplement our children's education by making sure that they know how to think critically and not just think critically, but be able to look beyond just the information that the government's giving or that someone else is giving through, you know, statistics or polling numbers and stuff like that, and to Absolutely. Really look at situations for themselves. And this is actually coming from somebody who is an educator, correct? Yeah, I teach uh, I teach English in Japan, and um, I've worked in um, I've worked as a coach in America. Um, I'm not a teacher by trade, and it wasn't my major, but it's mm-hmm. just something that I happen to have uh, wound up in in a couple of couple of my professions. Now, you say you're a, you are a coach in America, so you weren't working for government schools in America. Are you working for the government in Japan? Um, I was working for government schools in America, actually, and ah. yes, I am working for the government of Japan as well. What are some of the differences, uh, uh, the key differences between the two uh, systems that you've noticed? Not a whole lot. Really? Not a whole, yeah, not a whole lot. Um, it, what is kind of interesting in Japan is that they have a, they do have a, they do have private schools. Mm-hmm. Um, the, for all Japanese students, they only have to go through um, nine years of mandatory education. So hmm. um, once kids are done with junior high here, they don't have to go to high school. That's completely optional. Interesting. How many uh, of them uh, yeah. elect to go on? Uh, about 90 plus percent. Okay. Now, isn't that the truth so, in the United States that you don't have to you don't have to go beyond the sixth grade? 16, or, uh, so 16 that would years be older, about grade. 10th grade. That's 10th grade, Mark. Sixth um, grade I is like ten. Assuming you pass them all. Okay. No, I believe in America you have to you have to go through. Um, technically, you're supposed to go through high school hmm. legally. Um, there are a lot of people who drop out, but um, you know if you are a high school dropout and you're not going to you know private school or homeschooling and you're out on the streets during the day, a police officer can pick you up. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're if you're truant, they can arrest you for that. Does the uh, the funding uh, method is the funding mechanism similar in Japan? Do they have property taxes? Is that how the uh, schools are paid for there? Do you know? Oh, well, Japan's Japan's a socialist country, so there's taxes for everything here. Okay. Uh, so yeah, there's property taxes. Um, the do you uh, do you as an expatriate have to um, have to uh, pay these taxes at all? No, I do not, because for in Japan, for the purposes of paying taxes, I'm considered a U.S. resident. Mm-hmm. But thanks to U.S. tax treaties with Japan, I'm exempt for eighty thousand dollars of money that I make in Japan. So, but you still um, have to pay I taxes to the United States on that eighty thousand, right? No, I'm exempt for up to eighty thousand. Wait, you're exempt from Japan taxes and U.S. taxes? That's correct, sir. Wow, it's pretty sweet. So, yeah, uh, not a bad deal. So, all right. So, when funny, you... I'm largely exempt too. <laughs> Well, congratulations on that, and uh, when are you planning on coming back to the States, if at all? Um, I'll probably be coming back around 2009. Right on. Well, best of luck with uh, the rest of your career, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again, Brandon. Thank you. Take yep. it easy. 800-259-9231. Toll free. Got to be very interesting going over there. And I, I would, to another country? Yeah, I would think that most people would be qualified to teach English in, in those schools. I would 
I would think. I, if you can speak Spanish, uh, I mean, Japanese. He says he couldn't. What? Yeah. How do you teach English to kids who can't speak their native native language? I don't have an answer for that. Wait, d- did he say that on the air, or is that to you privately? That be, yeah, he uh, does show prep for me. <laughs> a lot of it. I He's like see. my private little uh, show yeah. prepper. Interesting. I don't understand how you could do that. How do you communicate with somebody if you can't speak their native language? That's bizarre. Uh, next time I'll have to ask him that. 800-259-9231 is the toll-free number, and you can take control of the airwaves. Let's shift gears. We've been talking about cops and the free marketplace, and uh, let's let's go over to an issue that's, well, I guess, ancillarily related to cops, and that is drugs. In fact, uh, mushrooms. We talked about them recently on the show. Uh, one of our listeners, I guess, called in and told us about his trip to Amsterdam, the Netherlands, where he was able to legally consume mushrooms. They're available. You can just go into a coffee shop and buy psychedelic psilocybin-laced mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Well, according to the BBC, now mushrooms are being analyzed for their possible helpful effects. They're being studied. Uh, In fact, uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder possibly could be helped by psychedelic mushrooms. mushrooms. Jeez. It had not. It had been years since Jeremy, which is not his real name, had touched a basketball. Living with obsessive compulsive disorder (OCD), Jeremy feared contamination from dirt and germs, which prevented any part of his body from touching the ground, save for the soles of his shoes. But whilst taking part in a small clinical study to investigate the effects of psilocybin, the hallucinogenic compound found in magic mushrooms uh, on people with OCD, Jeremy's bare feet lay on the floor. And he expressed a willingness to engage in an activity, playing with a ball, that just hours before he would have considered abhorrent. Yeah, filthy. These obsessive-compulsive disorder people are very, very interesting. I mean, they it's a very bizarre dis, uh, disorder where, like, for instance, you will go and lock your front door and then lock it seven more times in a row just to make sure it's locked. Chink, 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 yeah. Chink. Uh, I don't understand it really well. I've never done a report on it or anything, but it's just a very bizarre mental disorder. Although Jeremy's symptoms gradually returned, other patients also experienced transient relief from their OCD symptoms, and one entered an extended period of remission lasting more than six months. Lead researcher Dr. Francis Moreno, associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Arizona in Tucson, said, quote, I really think that participating in the study influenced the patient's remission. It was the first to investigate the therapeutic benefits of psilocybin to be published for more than 30 years. Now, why on earth has it taken so long? 800-259-9231. We'll find out coming up. This is your show. I bet you can guess. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's 1-800-259-9231, the Packet 8 toll-free line for you. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We've got live streams. There's a broadband version of the show and a dial-up version as well, both of them totally free on the house, freetalklive.com. Do enjoy those there on us. And get registered now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, Attaining Economic and Personal Freedoms in America's Freest State. This three-day event, February 23rd through the 25th, will be held convention-style in historic Concord, with some of the program taking place in the State House. Register now at freestateproject.org slash libertyforum for more information and, again, to get registered, freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. Obsessive-compulsive disorder, serious problem that uh, a lot of people, well, I guess there's not really much of a solution for. Is there? 
I mean, if there was, would they be studying psilocybin <laughs> as an option? Apparently not. Well, they're now looking at hallucinogenic mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms, magic mushrooms, as they're called, for people with OCD. The study's being done at the University of Arizona in Tucson, and I presume that means that they have permission from the DEA, though uh, just a quick scan of the article doesn't necessarily reveal how it is that they're getting this done, because normally the DEA has a real problem with this sort of study being done. In fact, this is the first study that investigates the therapeutic benefits of psilocybin to be published for more than 30 years. So it's been a long time coming, Mark. And essentially, if this could help people with OCD, who knows what else it could help people with? And Well, you know, these drugs that they've, uh, that, that they've decided are bad and made illegal, um, we don't want people to think for a minute that they might be okay. Well, yeah, it's it's very well possible that many of these evil drugs that are Schedule One narcotics could actually have some beneficial effects beyond just getting high. In fact, uh, but, but there are some doubts about the study. Critics say the study's flawed methodology means that conclusions cannot be made about the drug's efficacy against OCD, and some question whether it should have taken place at all. Professor Jeffrey Schwartz of the University of California said, quote, The study is going to receive a lot of attention and it will create a desire on the behalf of a patient population that's suffering and hoping for a magic bullet. However, the study's authors say the primary purpose of the study was to demonstrate safety. Dr. Moreno said, If the question is, did we find enough information to support exploring this further, then we got some interesting findings which support the need for a proper controlled study. There are an estimated six million OCD sufferers in the United States, making obsessive, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder the fourth most commonly diagnosed psychiatric disorder after phobias, depression, and alcoholism. Wow. So that's up there. OCD is an anxiety disorder characterized by the repetitive of ritualistic performance of behavior such as excessive washing, checking, and counting. And when, I, when they say checking, that's like the example I gave before of somebody checking to make sure they lock the front door over mm-hmm. and over again. Because you know how sometimes, sometimes I'll go, be- go to bed or get ready for bed and I can't remember if I locked the front door. And just going and looking at it is enough for me. But an OCD person will have to go and flip the lock a few times just to make sure they got it right. Just to make sure it's right. Sufferers can be plagued by intrusive thoughts ranging from unwanted sexual fantasies to committing violent acts. OCD is treatable, although the cause isn't fully understood. SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, such as uh, fluxetine, Prozac, or the tricyclic antidepressant clompramine, are commonly prescribed and can be highly effective. 60% of patients on medication do improve. The response rate can be higher uh, when combined with cognitive behavioral uh, behavioral therapy. This is a type of psychotherapy that focuses on solving the patient's present problems and is recommended as the first-line treatment for people with mild OCD. But half of patients relapse when drugs are withdrawn, and a quarter don't respond to conventional therapies at all. Even when medication is effective, a 30 to 50% reduction in symptoms is the best that can be achieved. So you're going to go on a drug regimen for the rest of your life, and you're not even going to be cured. You're just going to have a reduction at best. And if the therapy and drugs don't work, invasive brain surgery is the only remaining option. I don't know about you, but I don't feel too comfortable with that. The need for more treatment options and anecdotal reports of OCD patients undergoing periods of remission after using hallucinogens led Moreno and colleagues to give psilocybin to nine people who had not responded to other treatments. So these are people that they tried the pills on, they tried the prescriptions on, and they had no effect. The patients did see a significant reduction in symptoms for up to 24 hours after they were given psilocybin, even on the lowest dose. 
but because there was no group given a different drug or no drug at all to compare them to, the benefits could have been simply due to care and attention from the researchers. The way that psilocybin works that it can have uh, is that it can means that it can have very severe mind-altering effects. In this study, the people taking the drug rated the hallucinogenic experience as stressful at some times, but also quote psychologically and spiritually uplifting. Hmm. Wait a minute, Mark. I thought these drugs were bad. Well, they said it was stressful. Describing and well, it was probably uh, stressful at some times. That's probably the period where you feel like puking. Mm-hmm. I've uh, I've never done uh, psychedelic mushrooms myself, but I've been around a few people who have. And uh, one friend of mine who's done them a few times, he's done them twice in my presence, two of the two times he puked. Hmm. It's like, it's poison. You're eating a poisonous mushroom. And so you sort of have to get through this period of being poisoned before you can actually get the uh, the desired effects. Sounds great. So that sounds a little stressful to me. I don't like to puke. But all had previously taken psychedelic uh, drugs before the study, which researchers say was to increase the safety of the study. Dr. Paul Blinkerin, a consultant at the adult psychiatry unit of Bootham Park Hospital in York, said, quote, I'm concerned that this study only measured effects up to 24 hours, and OCD is a chronic condition not measurable in hours and days, but months and years. About 12% of people can suffer flashbacks after less than 10 exposures to psychedelics many years later beyond the six months of this study, so long-term effects should be carefully assessed. However, he added, if this substance was effective and had fewer side effects in severe treatment-resistant case, it would be an option. Experts also question whether the results are really even valid. Quote, you'd expect uh, a spontaneous remission rate of 10% within a year, said a professor at the Maudsley Hospital Center for Anxiety Disorders, who asks whether it's safe to give people with OCD psychoactive uh, substances at all. Quote, I'm very concerned that people with obsessional problems who experience bursts of nasty images like sexually abusing their own child or stabbing someone are being given a drug known to produce intrusive mental phenomena. Now, I've never, as I said, been on uh, psychedelic mushrooms, but from what I understand at least with uh, my other experiences into the uh, illegal drug drug realm, these, uh, from the people that I've spoken with, don't make you want to go out and stab people. Yeah, that does. I mean, that's not what I've heard about psilocybin mushrooms. From what I've heard about mushrooms, it gives you sort of a a connection to the earth. It gives you like like this, I don't know, naturalistic sort of uh, connection. Like you want to kick off your shoes. You want to run through the forest. You want to do things like that uh, that involve nature. And I can't see, considering how unnatural it is to take the life of another person, I can't imagine how anyone on uh, psychedelic mushrooms could... Uh, come across those thoughts. Though I suppose if it was a completely whacked out nut job who did have violent tendencies, I don't know. Who knows how somebody with a you know whacked out mentality is going to respond? Right. But uh, but even then, from what I've from what I've heard, it might actually help those people. Like it'd be interesting to see a study done on crazy people with psychedel- um, psycho tendencies and put them on a psychotropic substance like this, just well, to see what happens. It sounds like it helps it's helping people with obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah, and I think it could help some other people do other things as well. Just like uh, there have been positive studies about MDMA, there have been positive studies about LSD, marijuana. All of these products could really be helpful for certain people in certain situations. And at the very least, they should be legalized simply because the war on drugs is just a bad idea. But now, there's even more evidence in our corner. More on the way. You take control of the airwaves, 800-259-9231. We've got an experience from Amsterdam about these things on the way. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free. But if you think other people deserve to hear this show, 
Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You take control of the airwaves. Toll free, 800-259-9231. That is uh, your number to take control, 800-259-9231, the packet 8 toll-free line for you. Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Get on the listener map. Over 1,700 listeners have added themselves to the listener map, and you could too. You can or just scroll around the world and see who else is a listener to the show at map.freetalklive.com. Like everything else on our website, the listener map is totally free. And is there a young person that's important to you? Well, give them financial literacy. A Kid's Journey to Getting Rich by Jewel Thornton. It shows kids how to grow up financially free, save early and often, and how to develop passive income streams, the key to financial freedom. The average college student graduates with $7,000 in credit card debt. That's no way to start a life. Buy them A Kid's Journey to Getting Rich at akidsjourney.com or call 800-657-5066. That's one 800 657 5066. All right, so we were talking about uh, psychedelic mushrooms, the BBC reporting that it might actually help out people with obsessive compulsive disorder. And in fact, uh, there have been other reports in the past about other drugs like MDMA uh, being used also in the uh, therapeutic realm. MDMA of a drug that is uh, considered an empathogen. It helps people uh, really sort of get in touch with their caring, uh, their more caring nature, their caring side, I think. And uh, it floods your brain with serotonin, makes you feel really good. And they found that MDMA in a psych, um, in a setting, in a, for instance, in, in an analytical setting where you've got a psychologist and that sort of a setting, helps people who have major psycho, um, psychotrauma, essentially, major problems with their life. Maybe they were abused by uh, an uncle or something like that mm-hmm. in their past, that sort of thing. It really helps them break down those natural walls that they've maybe put up that they don't want to talk about it even with a uh, psychologist. Well, putting them on MDMA has uh, helped people open up. Right, they're happy. It has helped people address those issues in an adult fashion without them feeling embarrassed about talking about those things. There have also been positive studies in regards to LSD for therapeutic use as well. And, of course, all of this is interesting and should be studied more. And unfortunately, the DEA is standing in the way of more of these studies going on. To their credit, as though they deserve any credit whatsoever, they have, as of recently, started to allow more studies than they ever have in the past. Certain organizations like MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Psychedelic Studies Group, I forget the exact Mm -hmm. uh, term, but they have permission from the DEA to do studies on MDMA and, and I think a few other drugs. And I think some of the reasoning for this, the reason you're seeing approval for studies on MDMA as opposed to marijuana, which is already has a lot of people behind it from a medicinal purpose, mm-hmm. the reason why you're seeing that is because the doctors, uh, the agents, uh, the, the, their associations, the, the associations of doctors are really behind a lot of them um, re-legalizing to an extent or at least declassifying MDMA. And so maybe they see... MDMA as a you know possible um, future therapeutic use, something that uh, the pharmacy pharmacy companies could maybe profit from. Maybe that's why there's more of a push uh, for for medical testing of that. But let's move on to a story from Philip. He emails in saying, "I just got back from Europe, where I spent a week with my girlfriend and my three buddies hopping around the Netherlands." Sounds nice. I'd been listening to the show for my entire semester abroad, and it has been fascinating. 
I was listening to last night's program and wanted to comment about the soft drug policies in the Netherlands and a bit about my experience. When my girlfriend and I traveled to Holland, she had never experimented with pot. A past boyfriend of hers and had abused the substance. We all know what happens when you try to use it to run and solve your problems. But she had also not chosen to because it's not legal, and she wanted to do it in a comportable way. So we arrived. Soft drugs are legal there, but strictly regulated. A person can carry up to five grams of pot on them at any time, no more, and that's all that the coffee shops can sell you at any one time. But they can't. Um, but the cops there can't shake you down anyway, so they wouldn't know whether you have more than five grams of uh, pot on you or not. Is that true? I guess they they wouldn't find that out unless you committed another crime and you happen to have that's more my pot understanding. on you. Interesting. Shrooms and other substances are legal. However, hard drugs are not, but they are accessible. In fact, from what we were told before, they're they're not really legal, but they're more tolerated by the system. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the penalties are like, but I don't think they're anything as draconian as what we have here in the States. The whole theory is, apparently, like you've discussed on the show, if you're allowed to have these experiences, uh, this is a little iffy on the, uh, the grammar here, because that's what the drugs provide. You'll do it in a manageable and safe way, unless you need a quick fix because you only have a short time. Anyway, for a week, we smoked four or five times a day, had hash wow. brownies, hash hot chocolate, and hash milkshakes. Holy Strawberry, crap. chocolate, banana, whatever flavor you wanted. Huh. I was also, here in the United States, you're lucky if you can even find hash. I was also given the chance to legally do shrooms, which was ideal. I do get quite paranoid, and psychotropic drugs enhance the state of mind that you're currently in. I was able to read non-biased information, and the nice man behind the counter asked me a series of questions to help guide me to the best experience for me picking between the multiple types of mushrooms. He then gave me instructions on how to take them. They were fresh, so there were more of them as drying concentrates the substance, and apparently that's not legal in Holland. Hmm. And I think this is interesting. I mean, just in the the market perspective here, that when you're going to, uh, for instance, engage in a behavior like this, you go to a, a business... A uh, an upfront, honestly run business. You aren't buying you know, a bag of shrooms from some some shady dealer. You don't know where he got the shrooms. This is a business, a reputable organization that uh, makes a habit of selling these things for a living. And uh, as you might imagine, they sell enough of them to where they understand the product pretty darn well. Sure, I mean, you know, if you're if you're buying uh, tires from a tire dealership, they're going to tell you, you know, um, what these tires are good for, how how to best operate in them, yep. um, with them, you know. They're experts. So same thing here. He got expert information from the man behind the counter. There was printed information as well. In fact, in uh, Toronto, there's a, a there's similar. There's more tolerance up in Toronto, Canada, as well towards drugs. And there's uh, there's a for instance like a head shop that also has printed information, honest information about drugs, how to most safely use them, and that sort of thing. Instead of just wagging your finger at people and telling them don't do it, these people accept the fact that people are going to do drugs. In case, of course, in the case of the businesses, they understand it and they're going to profit from it. But uh, they accept that fact and they want to protect their customers. They want to protect them from being hurt because they want them to come back sometime. Mm-hmm. So uh, he said, I had a very enlightening night. My girlfriend still makes fun of me for how I acted that night. And we were able to visit quite a few different establishments as Amsterdam is a very walkable city. There were no adverse consequences. And interestingly enough, because I was allowed to have my own experience, it was so fantastic I don't have a desire to do it again. I bought, ate, and tripped on shrooms in full view of anyone who wanted to watch. In fact, my whole group of five people smoked 18 grams of pot, digested two ounces of mushrooms, and ingested about ten servings of hash. Wow. This is all in a week's period of time. But that's why they went there. You know, yeah. It was a vacation. 
Uh, according to the DEA, according to the DEA, we would be violent and degenerate felons and should be serving time in jail. Now, all this fun did come with a price, as we probably spent about $200 on drugs between my girlfriend and I. And on the last night, my girlfriend started experiencing withdrawals, going from a complete non-user to smoking four times a day. We'll do that to you, he says. However, we also saw ten museums while we were there. Saw Othello in Dutch, took a canal tour, went to the Cannabis, and far more cultural things. Yes, we were a depraved bunch of kids, just running around the world, experiencing ourselves and our environment in a different way, and learning about our fellow human beings. Aren't what? you supposed to see some uh, Renoirs when you go to... Uh... They went to ten museums. Must have been a Renoir in there. Must have been. Why can't the U.S. get on board? Legalize all drugs. I bet that soft drugs would take over and hard drugs would go the way of hard drugs in Holland. They had a nice aging population of heroin addicts. From Philip. Hmm. 800-259-9231. If you've got an experience heading over to uh, another country like the Netherlands where drugs are uh, more tolerated by the law, what was it like? You know, what was it like? As he points out, he was there in front of everybody tripping on mushrooms, and it wasn't a problem. No big deal. No issue at all. Hmm. Walking around from bar to bar, doing bar hopping, essentially, except with different products. That happens here in the United States all the time. People go uh, bar hopping. They go to one bar, have some drinks there, go to another bar, have some drinks there, go to another bar, and by the time they're you know, their third bar, they're plastered. Yeah. And they probably have two more bars uh, on their list. So that's dangerous. There's plenty of dangerous legal behaviors that people can, uh, can enact in here in the United States. Why not these two? 800-259-9231. Well, the reason why not is because the government likes its prohibitions. Mm. Government likes the money that comes from them. Yeah, the, 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 the people that enforce the laws benefit and the people that sell the drugs benefit. That's true. It's a sick little uh, sick bedfellows there. More on the way. You take control of the airwaves. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. Final segment remains just enough time for your call if you make it now. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves. Toll free, 800-259-9231. That is the Packet 8 toll free line for you, 1-800-259-9231. Just enough time for your call here in these final moments. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We ask for your voluntary support. We don't charge you for the website. We give it away. And those other radio shows, I was on the phone with a uh, program director today, and he, he agreed with me that... These other shows, they charge you for their website, and they don't even have close to the amount of content that Free Talk Live does. We got it, and it's all free at freetalklive.com. But if you want to help support the show, then buy some stuff. Buy some Free Talk Live branded merchandise, like Free Talk Live hats and T-shirts and other great products you'll find at store.freetalklive.com. That is store.freetalklive.com. You'll also find instructions on how you can get your very own Free Talk Live bumper sticker for free. So that's all there at store. FreeTalkLive.com as we go to the phones to the fun to Sam in Texas on the amplifier line. Hello, Sam. Oh, you guys are going to get me in trouble talking about this stuff. What do you mean? Uh, just uh, with the type of job I have, but I- I'm sure it's fine. What type of job do you have? Uh, fairly corporate type of job. I'm not self-employed yet, so. I see. So you're worried it makes that it a little bit of a concern. Are you concerned that other people are listening and they'll recognize your voice, or who knows? Yeah, possibly. Hmm. But now, it's okay. So you happened. So, wait, you're the guy who called in before about the Amsterdam trip. Right, right. Now, did your corporation not know where you were going on vacation? A uh, few of the people did know. So, there, Don't you think word got around the office? I mean, uh, you know how word is around the office. Things, uh, Rumors spread pretty fast. Yeah, I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. And uh, I think it's kind of a 
don't ask, don't tell policy. So Understood. And it's probably a, it's that. probably a, you know some it's probably a factor of the people that you work with have probably also done some drugs in their time. So oh yeah, some of them have actually come forward and said that. So. There you go. All right. That that in mind, what uh, what do you have to share with us tonight, Sam? Uh, I can tell you some more stories of things that I've I've seen while I'm down there. Tell you a little bit about the scene. Um, the coffee shops that are around. There's one really famous one called the Grasshopper. The whole building's lit up green. It's right across from uh, Central Station. Mm-hmm. And you walk in there. Uh, the there's. It's not like you just go. You know, buy the drugs from anybody in the place. There's always one specified person, and then the the menus are sometimes hidden. Sometimes you have to ask for them. In the grasshopper, there's this big black screen. You hit a button and it lights up, and then you can see it. Whereas as soon as you light off the button, it goes back to black. Interesting. Now, why do they do that? I just to make it look like an innocent coffee shop. I see. <laughs> what they, everyone they knows have, otherwise. Okay. Yeah, it, 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 I'm going to tell you more about that. They also have, like, in one corner, they've got a plant growing, you know, with the light on and everything, and it's flowering and so forth. Is it a marijuana a plant? Little, yeah. Okay. And there's a little shade that you can roll up and down so that that could be hidden as well, just in case. <laughs> okay. But then I was in there one time, and two police officers actually walked down the steps into the place. They kind of stood at the landing, I think... I don't know if the guy stopped selling drugs that was about 10 feet to their left or if he just kind of kept on, but they looked around, made sure, you know, everything was okay. There's people smoking everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just full of the place was packed. And they uh, looked around for a minute and then walked out and left, and that was it. Mm. Certainly a different place. How do you Absolutely. feel like, uh, for instance, I, I could see that... Uh, Okay, let's envision something similar happening here in the United States. Say here in Keene, New Hampshire, where we're uh, located, is the first place in America to essentially legalize um, some drugs, maybe just a few to start with, uh, like like Holland, uh, marijuana, mushrooms, to where you've got a, a very large tourist trade of people who no longer have to go to Amsterdam in order to, uh, to experience these things. Obviously, a lot of people are going to be coming in from out of the area to experience this. It's going to bring a lot of tourism in, and that could bring some problems. Do you feel like someone might look at Amsterdam and say, you know, this is an undesirable. I don't want these people coming to my area. How were, what was the behavior like of the individuals within uh, the grasshopper, and what were they like outside of the grasshopper? Would this be something that would turn off, say, a conservative Christian to a, to an extreme, or would it be something that they might be able to acclimate to and adjust to? Is it was it not so bad? Can you explain? I, I think the beliefs and stereotypes of a really traditional Christian might preclude them from ever accepting something like this. Mm-hmm. I don't think the attitudes and behaviors of the people there should be something that scares people off. Now, I, I've rarely seen fights there. I, I've uh, like I. There was another group of uh, British guys that were doing a stag night. That's a bachelor party, and they had the poor guy. They made him a crown of thorns and a eight-foot four-by-four cross that he had to drag through the streets while they're <laughs> whipping him and yelling at him. Jeez. Okay. Now I contrast that with a night out after like an OU game in downtown Dallas, where I see some guys out in the street, kind of singing and dancing, and about ten feet away from them, there's police, eight of them standing there, arms folded, with the plastic uh, handcuffs in their hands, you know, ready to take these guys down as soon as they step over the line. Mm-hmm. 
So it's just, it's a completely different come from. The the police officers there, when they're walking around, I like I actually get the impression that they're there to help people. They're not there to, you know, get in anyone's business or tell people what to do. Mm-hmm. It's like they're there to provide a service and that's it. So if somebody's lost or somebody needs some assistance, they're there to help out. Not or, to, yeah, uh, somebody falls on their bike, I've seen that. Not to shake them down yeah. as Mark has, uh, has described it. Exactly. So, um, so you were never harassed by the police in your uh, in your stay. And how long were you in uh, in Amsterdam? Uh, this last time it was four days. I typically go for uh, three three to five days. Mm-hmm. Now, when you go outside of the uh, the grasshopper, when you're out on the streets of Amsterdam, what's the uh, what's the atmosphere like? Is it rowdy? Is it uh, loud? I, if you've ever been to you know a busy downtown city, it's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. There's certainly different types of stores in the different areas and so forth, but it's it's like walking around in New York where there's just people out about their business. You know, not everybody's going to coffee shops. There's people that live, you know, all throughout the area. So I don't really. There's nothing really that different other than just the general kind of peaceful. Uh, fun. Now, one free. difference, and I appreciate that. Now, one difference would, of course, be the red light district. Now, this is one of the other things that Amsterdam is known for. Essentially, I mean, partially nude, maybe fully nude girls, right, on on the street level, um, standing in windows, beckoning to people. That's pretty much what's going on, right? Uh, no, they're typically they're not nude. They would be in like a bikini bathing suit. I mm-hmm. think that they get in trouble if they do that. Right, so, and you get and in it, trouble if you take pictures, too, as I understand it. I don't think you get in trouble, but the girls don't like it very much, and they either disappear or I've seen them yell at, at uh, some tourists. A lot I've heard there are bodyguards that will come by and take your camera from you. Uh, oh, I haven't had that experience. Well, now, last time I was there, I was walking right through the red light district. It was kind of afternoon time, mm-hmm. and there was a, a group of like parents and school children, elementary age that it looked like they had just done maybe a talent show or recital or play or something like that and they're out posing for a picture and right across the street are <laughs> you know these red light windows girls in the windows wow that's just amazing thinking, you know what is it like to grow up in that kind of a environment i think it's i think it's excellent uh, i think that uh, th- their kids are probably far less sexually repressed than american people now american uh people who do uh, experience an excessive amount of sexual repression would probably be upset with the idea of a red light district but looking at it from your perspective did you feel like the red light district in amsterdam was a kind of a slimy place was it dirty or was it well kept was it clean was it somewhere where um you know you weren't necessarily unlikely to be I'd say Europe as a whole is a lot older than America, so cleanliness standards are not quite on par as they are as they would be over here. Mm-hmm. But certainly I don't think the red light district is any worse off than the other sections of the city. Did you ever feel in danger when you were in the uh, the red light district or the district or the area where there was uh, the pot coffee shops? No, you know, I've I've walked I go out walking for 4 or 5 hours. Uh, just to see where it takes me, I go. I come across museums and mm-hmm. uh, residential neighborhoods. I've done it all times of the night. Sometimes, you know, if I can't sleep, I'll go out for a three or four mile run. And it, it, I've never ever had a problem. Never ever felt unsafe or threatened or anything. And I want to go back to uh, kind of talking about sex. Sure. 
when I was there this last time, I stopped in a little place, talked with a guy that was from Egypt, and then another friend of his that was Dutch uh, came in. And it was really, anything was on the menu for discussion with this guy. He, he talked to me quite a bit and had questions that were about sex, about politics. It was just really an open conversation. I don't think you find that over here a lot as well. Very interesting, Sam. Thank you for sharing that with us. We really appreciate hearing from you, and uh, good luck keeping it quiet on the uh, the work front. Appreciate the call. Thank Thanks. You guys. It's been Ian here with you. And Mark. Very interesting. I'd be It'd be fascinating to see how uh, uh, an area like that manifested itself here in the United States, and I hope that we uh, get to see it happen sooner rather than later. We'll see you tomorrow night online, freetalklive.com. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supplies, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.